Hello there, and welcome to episode 24 of the Game Pit. This is another one of our Treasure Hunt episodes. I'm Sean, and here's Ray. So, we are each going to choose some games, and we're going to discuss them, and then the other person's going to give their thoughts, and both of us are going to give our own opinion on whether each game is a treasure or a trap. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor early in the morning? Way hey, and up she rises, way hey, and up she rises, way hey, and up she rises early in the morning. We're gonna crack straight in with Seafall. Seafall is a 4X game, which means explore, exploit, expand, and exterminate. And those are usually sent in a science fiction setting, but this one is set in an alternative world in which it's the Age of Sail. And each player is going to be playing as an empire around an ocean, and you're going to be going out and exploring different islands, finding different trade opportunities, fighting each other, and attempting to improve your own empire. It's the three to five players. It is coming from Plaid Hat Games and also from Iron War Games. Now, Plaid Hat we're going to be talking about in a minute, I think, so we'll skip over them for now. But in terms of Iron War, this appears to be a publisher set up by the designer, and who the designer is of this game is where all the excitement has come from. His name is Rob Davial, and he is the designer of uh, Queen's Gambit, which is a really sort of grail Star Wars game. He has worked for Hasbro for a number of years, and he's known for doing an actually really good tie-in game in a Buffy game he made. He worked on Heroescape, he was part of Portrayal on the House on the Hill team. But most importantly, when it comes to Seafall, Rob was the designer of Risk Legacy. Now, that was a game that came out a couple of years ago. It was based, obviously, on the Risk system, which I think we're all going to be familiar with. And the idea of it is this legacy system in that... As the game is played, the game changes. Now, be that the different rules come into play, the actual board changes, some different cards come into play, some cards get ripped up. So each play for each gaming group is going to be unique because the game changes as you play, and that is the big, big selling point for Seafall. Also to be noted is that Rob has usually worked under the Hasbro umbrella or larger company umbrella. So he has been very innovative in his designs, but he's also been slightly limited in the environment he's been working in. And this is his first design, I think, in which he's com working completely by himself. He doesn't have those restrictions of having to reach to a mass market or answer to other people. And what he can do in that environment is what people are, are really interested to see. Sean, have you got any initial thoughts on Seafall? Well, the interesting thing, as you've already mentioned, is that risk legacy system where it kind of reward, it rewards the winner, but also hampers them for the next game. And it also promotes ongoing play. So I don't know how that's going to fit in with this one. How do you think that's going to go? I think that while it was interesting in risk, it was still tied to a game of risk. So you were still chucking figures at each other and rolling some dice and getting lucky and winning. I hope that in him designing this system himself, He's going to put it on a more robust framework of his own design and uh, he's going to remove some of that luck element out of it and perhaps some of the catch-the-leader mechanism could be a bit more subtle in that it tended to be a lot that 
in the first six or seven games you're playing with five player, everyone was going to get one win because people were getting slight bonuses for winning, but then obviously, as you said, they're going to get pegged back. And it wasn't until a few games in that the game started to even out and that legacy system became a bit more interesting and, and actually it created differences rather than advantages. So I'm hoping that he's now walked away a little from risk, come up with his own system to really let that promise of the legacy system develop into something special. Another thing that caught my eye, apart from the risk legacy system, was this grudge card, Ronan, where basically if you're attacking or just generally being mean to your fellow players, you set up grudges and the game actually insists almost that you set up grudges and you get a grudge card that you can play against that player at a later date. That's very interesting. Yeah, if you attack me, you give me a grudge card, and then that grudge card gives me some sort of advantage or extra points, what have you, for attacking you back. We don't know exactly how it's going to work. It does sound interesting. It will make you think twice before attacking someone, because is it worth taking that chance to exploit it? The only kind of worry with that is, is that the obvious catch-the-leader mechanism in that if someone's sailing around with a stronger fleet and they're bullying everyone and they're knocking people out, is that grudge system a way of kind of pegging the back and you're giving the other players more and more advantage to hit back at you and cut you down to size again? I also think that it maybe it limits the number of attacks you can do. You only have a certain amount of grudge cards you can give away. So perhaps it will be quite sort of strategic in, in when and where to use those and, and making the most of your chances to attack each other. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for me is how much you actually do explore because it's a 4X game and it's built very much as that and it's built that the more the more you sail out into this unexplored world the more the rewards are but the more risk you're going to take it, that's going to be where this game fails or succeeds for me is how well they do that exploration aspect yeah my understanding of it is that when you explore and you discover areas they depending upon what's going on in the game, we don't know again exactly, but you're going to be putting stickers on the board for the different areas you find. So that's part of the legacy system. Also, I think that exploration further into the map is going to be very difficult early on. And you have to establish your empire in the first couple of plays before you can be able to really get in and the full interaction between the empires is going to start going and you can sell right across the board. So it sounds like within the growth of your empire and the technology tree or whatever way they do that is, it's got that limitation of gradual exploration rather than everyone can sail off, look at the whole board and that's it done. You'd have to play another 14 games of it because you've seen everything. So what that's... Yeah, all we really know about this game, and my thoughts really are, as I said, it's going to really, really depend on how good the exploration side is. Is it sort of Francis Drake with lots of added things going on with attacking and unique actions available to you? And of course, this risk legacy system. Now that or does sound it... awesome. <laughs> Risk, Legacy and Francis Drake combined, awesome. Or is it just going to fall flat on the exploration and with all this big hoo-ha about the, the Legacy system coming in, is that just going to be all this game's about? So for me, until I know better, this game is a trap. Oh, Sean, I am more than disappointed. I think that the Legacy system itself is enough for me to be excited about any game it gets put on, immediately it's going to get my attention. The fact that this is possibly the designer's chance to spread his wings and show us fully what he's capable of has got me fully focused on it. This, I believe, will be a treasure all the way. Next up for me, or first up for me, is Dead of Winter, a Crossroads game. 
It's another plaid hat game, and it's designed by Jonathan Gilmore, and uh, Jonathan did a game called Pocket Dungeon in 2009. It's also designed by Isaac Vega, who did Bioshock Infinite and City of Remnants, two recent plaid hat releases. Plays two to five, and it's a cooperative game with a bit of hand management and dice rolling, and it's also got some group voting, which makes it interesting. Now, what happens in this is players are going to take control of a group of survivors, and they are based in an apocalyptic world where zombies or some sort of creatures roam the landscapes. Each player is going to work together to ensure that the colony survives, but also undertake small tasks that don't really necessarily lend themselves to the group goals. And on top of that, you're going to have the possibility of traitors in the midst. So players are going to be able to do things like search location, gather resources, of course, attack these zombies that are out there and other survivors as well. And they're going to have to deal with crises that arise. So each character in your groups will have their own ratings for influence, attack and search and a unique ability. Players will have to decide which character will do each task and ultimately which ones will die because they will die. So Ronan, what are your initial thoughts about this? Sean? I hate semi-co-op games, mostly, and I'm bored of zombie themes. Discuss. I'm going to shock you by saying I'm pretty bored of the zombie themes myself. What? I know, I know. (laughs) Wow, how how does this happen? I shocked myself. Ah, it's just there's so many coming out. You can't turn a corner without Cthulhu or a zombie game hitting you in the face these days. I really really swear. (laughs) (laughs) I need to swear about Cthulhu. Okay, yes, I agree. Blooming Cthulhu. <laughs> I think we'll finally get onto it now. We have had our problems with Plaid Hat. We have had issues in the past with possibly exciting us about games and not really following through on the promise of what those games will be. Well, and... you know, partially, isn't it? It is partial. It's that they're games that sometimes are great and sometimes aren't. Well... For me, I, yeah, I think you definitely had some decent games of like Dungeon Run, but I just found Dungeon Run to be unfinished. We both found City Remnants to be lacking just that final sort of dotting of the I's, crossing of the T's that just makes it a good game. So, Vice Mystic's the same. I know it's very popular, but it, it could just go on for far too long for. Maybe it's just because I bought it as a, as a family sort of dungeon crawl, but my kids were getting bored sometimes because it went too long. This is doing it again. <laughs> I'm really excited about this. It looks amazing. The artwork is stunning, but then again, Plaid Hat games do tend to have amazing artwork. The Mice and Mystics, as Ron just mentioned, absolutely stunning game. They're doing it again. It's got a wonderful premise. I love the fact that you've got the traitor in the midst. Possibly. They're not always in every scenario. There's not always a traitor. You have to kind of work together, but you've all got your own goals to try and get done as well. Oh, man, it just sounds like such a good group interaction game. And, Ronan, you do like a group interaction. But there are so many variables in this game. There's, they've tried to create with this system, with with ju- building a story and using the crossroads cards, and you never know exactly what's going to be going on, and everyone's different goals, and all these different stuff that can happen to you. And every, every time you can move, you move on the board, something can happen, like random encounters and stuff. Uh, can can they possibly 
possibly have play tested it enough for them to have just lost that looseness in some of their other games and and actually made it tight enough. Is it possible, Sean? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail absolutely bang spank on the head. The fact that they probably haven't play tested, well, in our opinion, they've probably done thousands of hours of play testing, but in our opinion, the games come out and they don't seem to be fully tested through each scenario. This game has so much going on and so much or appears to be so much that can go wrong with it and so much that could go right with it and different scenarios affecting it in different ways and people's personalities are going to play a part in this game. You you need the right people around you. There's such a lot of variables in this. Have they finally gone that extra mile and really, really tested it to the nth degree? Well, that's what we have to decide, whether we think it's a treasure or a trap. (laughs) Now, what I said to you when you put this on your list and I started doing my research can't be repeated on what is supposed to be a family show. Because what you did was, after swearing off their games because they are honey traps, you got me interested in another plaid hat game. And it looks like it's going to be amazing. Again, we're reading the session reports, people have played it and saying how great it's been and such good fun. It has got those elements of like group interaction within the framework of a proper game that I really love. Sean, you've made me put this down as a treasure and I hate you. Oh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Oh, the siren's call has really got hold of you there, Ronan. But you did it. You led me there <laughs> onto the rock. I just, I just captained the ship. You were the one that leapt from the, from the bows. Captain, my captain, you've let me down. <laughs> I am going along the lines of, it looks amazing. It seems amazing. If you go trap, we're going to fall out. We, I think like this could be, in its essence, like the the big brother or the successor to the games like the resistance if it's done properly but it's plaid hat and i've been bitten so many times i will buy this game i guarantee you right now i will buy this game i will own it as soon as it's released but it's a trap oh you and me (laughs) we're going at it that's the end of it (laughs) you've just cost me 50 pounds my friend (laughs) okay Let's move on to another big thematic game. And this one is the Battle of Five Armies. This is a sequel of sorts to the hugely popular War of the Ring, which told an overview strategic story of the struggle encapsulated in Lord of the Rings. In this case, the Battle of Five Armies, I'm sure vast majority of you know about it. It's the big battle at the end of The Hobbit. And they have taken the War of the Ring system and turned it into a two-player war game in which each player takes one side. One's going to be the orcs and wolves and bats. I never worked out exactly who the five armies are, but those people and the others are the humans and the elves and the dwarfs and one hobbit and Gandalf and all the rest of that good stuff. Now, it is the same design team of War of the Ring. It's Roberto D'Amelio, Marco Maggi and Francesco Nepotello. And it's also the publishers of War of the Ring. So it's Ares Games. They've also brought up likes of Galaxy Defenders, Sales of Glory, Aslan. 
It's planned to be the first in a series of battle games which are going to be based on this same system, based in Middle-earth. So they're talking about the likes of the Siege of Minas Tirith and the Battle of Helm's Deep and all that other goodness. All the games that, when I used to read Lord of the Rings as a teenager, I, I wish they were great games. And in fact, I had the old 80s Battle of Five Armies chit and hex game and I used to play that me left hand against right hand um, it looks very similar to War of the Ring it's got really nice looking artwork it's got lovely miniatures special miniatures for each of the individual leaders of the sides you've got like the likes of uh, Bjorn and Thranduil and all that goodness in, in separate miniatures and they've also got the red and blue for either side within the battle which as soon as you see it, you look at it, game looks like that you think War the Ring it's got a similar um, tracker, you uh, had the Fellowship Tracker in War of the Rings, this has got a Fate Tracker which leads to events happening and what have you and, and little changes in the games it is based on a proven system that worked on a strategic level. However, there were expansions to War of the Ring, which tried to bring in slightly more tactical battle-style scenarios, and they didn't always work. But here they've, they've gone the whole hog and made it a different game along that sort of a line. Sean, any thoughts on the Battle of Five Armies? There's four Marys uh, who make absolutely stunning, stunning games. The miniatures look great. It just seems to me that... They've won with the World of the Ring. They, they've done that. They, they've done it well. It's widely renowned as one of the best battle games around there. And I think they've just realised that there is another market and it's a much lighter market to be moved into. Now, whether they're going to take on the likes of Battle Lore or people like, games like that or Warhammer Disc Wars, that kind of market where it's a little bit lighter, it's not so in-depth and it's more accessible really yeah this one's looking at a 90 minute so maybe we'll say two hour player time as opposed to watering is, is a multiple hour undertaking unless you know it very well I will say, um, obviously, yeah, they have seen that, that. What else can we do with War of the Ring in order to try and make some money out of it? Well, here's a good idea. And the fact that you're basing it on that system means you've got a certain fan base already. We have not played War of the Ring, either of us, despite liking Tolkien and what have you. I don't know why that's never happened. So we are outside of that sort of cash they've got already of people who are going to buy the game. Are they doing enough to entice us in to buy it? Or is it aimed just too much at fans of Watering and they're just selling more of the same? See, I was coming out from the other other way. I would have thought people who are fans of Watering wouldn't necessarily be buying this because they, they've already got the game. They've already got it down to a level where they can play it quite quickly. It's more in depth. It offers them more. So this might not actually appeal to them. Maybe this would appeal to people who weren't necessarily interested in the depth that War of the Ring gave. So that's, that's the way I was looking at it. Well, they're just... They're, they're not the same thing. This is a tactical battle and then War of the Ring is a strategic battle. When you're the individual battles themselves are quite abstracted. This is more about using your tactics, using the battlefield, timing of reinforcements and things like that. So surely if you played War of the Ring a fair bit, would you, you be thinking, I'd quite like to be able to manage these armies a bit more during these battles rather than the, the slightly removed level I have? 
I definitely see where you're coming from. The point was I hadn't looked at it really from that angle. I was I fairly duck to my the my angle that I was looking at. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Definitely, you've played the strategic overview game, but now you want to get into the tactical nitty gritty and the actual swinging of swords and blasting of creatures, etc. So yeah, definitely, I I see where you're coming from and. I think the game could work either way, to be honest. And I think it could be very, very popular. So it's, it's doing enough for you to think that other people will want to come in and play it who haven't necessarily played Lord of the Rings? For me, yeah, definitely. I think you're going to have that fan base of Lord of the Rings anyway. And you're going to have fan bases of things, as I said, like battle law and, and don't forget those fantastic Hobbit movies are out at the moment. Don't start with your Peter Jackson <laughs> crusade. He's not a hack. <laughs> He's a hack. Move on. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Yeah, they've already got fans of Battle Law, etc. And I think that the really polished production that Ares produce and the fact that people may have wanted but just couldn't find the time to get in the game of War of the Rings, I think that's going to really appeal. All right, here's a question for you. Is it weird that it's not multiplayer? Given that it's the Battle of Five Armies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there is only it's it's good versus evil, isn't it? It's not really. Oh, that depends on your point of view. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> There's two distinct sides. There I are think, goblin so. orphans who hate elves. <laughs> yes, dear. There's two distinct sides, so I I think that kind of makes sense. I I can imagine them toying with the idea of making it five player and I'm sure there's going to be some variants that come in that make it five player but whether some of the factions in or some of the armies sorry uh, is the battle of five armies of course whether some of them are big enough or interesting enough to play as for one player like I don't know if the if you ended up playing as the Eagles or something go, so you're playing. claiming the Eagles are one of the five armies because I'm still confused I haven't got a clue. Do you know Lord of <laughs> my theory than I do? Is they couldn't work out who the five armies were, so they couldn't make it more than two player. <laughs> uh, you get to be the trees, and you're the cows. Yeah, yeah you're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, if you watch the Peter Jackson wonderful Hobbit films, you'll realise that all they need is Legolas to go out, out there, and he'll kill everything that moves. I'm sure that was in the book. <laughs> Anyway, do you want to give us your final, th- final thoughts on Battle of Five Armies? We'll do our Hobbit movie review later. Uh, God forbid. I think it looks amazing. I think it's based on a tried and tested formula. I've always wanted to own and play War of the Rings. Again, I'm really not sure why we haven't got around to that, Roland. Uh, for me, it's 100% treasure. For me... It's coming into a very crowded market. You alluded to it earlier that there are lots and lots of two-player games out there. Now, obviously, there's a whole sort of genre of two-player war games out there, which between us, we have barely touched. I've just got Hammer of the Scots, which I'm going to talk you into playing with me soon. Also, for the likes of this tactical battle stuff, I've got Battle Lord 2. I've got Battles of Westeros. In terms of fantasy sort of games, I've got Stronghold. I don't play them enough. These sort of games, and I'm sure this is going to be the same, they really shine on repeated plays again and again and again. And do I play deep, long-ish two-player games often enough to warrant buying another one? And I, I don't really. 
So, at the moment, with head ruling heart, it's a personal trap. Although I'm sure, in general, it's going to be a treasure. It's going to be a really good game. It's going to do the job fantastically well. And I'm probably stupid enough to end up buying it anyway. Well, there's something I didn't ever think I would hear. Ronan actually making a Lord of the Rings game a trap. Next up is a game called Heroes Wanted. This is from Action Phase Games, who are a new company, and designed by Travis R. Chance, who designed a game called Infamy and Nick Little. And I believe this is Nick's first game. It plays one to five players, and it's basically a comic book-inspired game of hand management. So in the game, you become wannabe superheroes vying to prove themselves and to be accepted as a champion of Zeta City. Now, I believe the champions of Zeta City are kind of like the Avengers or the Justice League or something like that. So you're going to combine two cards. One is going to equal the head and one of them is going to equal the body. And that's going to form your superhero. So each head and body combination are going to offer differing abilities and superpowers. So your head might give you plus two attack and your body might give you plus two movement. Whatever, however it works, it's going to give it some variety to the game anyway. So the superheroes are then going to battle against a supervillain or supervillains to raise the profile. And the players may work their way through a scenario and a specific scenario map to defeat the villain's henchmen underlings and eventually the villain who is also crafted from two random cards so the scenarios range from basically tackling jaywalkers to escaping criminals being apprehended players must use their hand of cards wisely as the cards form their actions and also their health points not a lot more to this one ronan what do you think well it looks pretty awful sean in terms of the cards look okay the board and the little pawns that represent the figures and the whole feel of it. It feels like, looks like, and it seems to play like an abstract puzzle game. And it doesn't seem like there'll be much variety in play. It seems like it's really, really simple. Um, the only variables will be those combinations of heroes and villains. Now, there's definitely a jokey side to this, and they've tried to make it funny in the way they combine, which it had better be funny because the likes of Crush Stash is really putting me off, or American Beard. I'm not sure I want to play a game as the American Beard. Those heroes and villains are the only variables in it, and they just seem to be simple modifiers on how you attack. And it is what's there? Why have you picked this? What is what has made this? shine for you well for the first start i don't always pick the games that excite me but i pick the games that have caught my eye for one reason or another and this one it was on kickstarter and it did catch my eye as you know as everyone knows because we've told them multiple times we were both really into comics but me probably more so than you so any comic book theme is always going to catch my eye and of course there is that chance of actually making up your own superhero whether that's random or not you get to a different superhero every turn. so that really caught my eye and as you know ronan i'm not the strongest willed person in the world. So off I popped to Kickstarter, fully expecting to be coming away with not only a basic Kickstarter backing, but probably all the additional bits as well. And the heroes wanted tattoo. 
And Heroes Wanted Tattoo, a T-shirt. Yeah, ad- adopted some Heroes Wanted pets. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, all, all of that. And I didn't. What I've written down on my notes is the artwork looks good. The hero combinations look like giving variety to each game. But does the fun stop right there? I think we've both arrived at the same door at the same time with that. <laughs> the game doesn't seem to be awful. It's you move your heroes and you take out the little minions and isn't it isn't it co-op but only one person wins you score most points or something and there's points for killing the villain but it's person that does the killing blow who gets the villain so it, I can see it becoming a bit weird like that and if you you can just be unlucky and surrounded by minions which means you might get beaten up but you might score lots of points and it just seems to be really not very focused on if it's a competitive game how you score points doesn't seem to be very focused and. It doesn't really seem to know what it wants to be. The the theme and the artwork of those cards seem to be completely removed from that hex grid board thing that actually is how you play the game. They just seem to be two completely different games in one package. Yeah, on my research for this, I watched someone playing the prototype. Basically, I think it was at one of the Gen Con or one of the one of the shows, and they were they were showing the prototype, and you set up by randomising where each player goes onto the the map. And if, you, if you've if you chosen the wrong location in the wrong scenario, you're just completely blown out of the water already. It happened in, in this in this video. One person, you got points, extra points for breaking mirrors. It was like the Hall of Mirrors or something. And you get extra points for breaking mirrors. And one person landed right next to a load of mirrors and hardly any henchmen could get to them. And the other person just landed with henchmen between them and every mirror. And they had to basically take a beating to get near a mirror it just was like hey that just that that shouldn't happen i mean as i say it was a prototype so hopefully they iron stuff like that out but if i'm noticing issues with games from afar from just doing a little bit of research alarm bells start to ring yeah i think the one positive is the designer he did infamy which is actually a pretty good little game there's nothing wrong with that at all so that would give me hope that perhaps there's more to it than is meeting our superficial first glance eye but we did an episode quite a long time ago looking at superhero games where we looked at likes of dc legendary central universe what have you and we were applauding that there were more superhero games coming out obviously what happens there is that once superhero theme becomes more kind of acceptable within the gaming hobby you're going to get it pasted on some games that it doesn't really suit and in my opinion that's what's happened here i mean I haven't got too much more to say about it. For me, this one's a trap. Yeah, one thing we didn't actually discuss was the optional quirk cards where... I was trying to avoid them. (laughs) Where it adds a party game element into it, where something triggers someone and someone's got to say something or do something. They've got to slap the person to their left or raise their leg on the table or do something silly. So that was bizarre. Telling me that it's a... Starting off as a fun card game, then it turns into a sort of a dungeon crawler almost, and now it's a party game. I don't think this game knows what it wants to be, and I don't think it does any of those elements particularly well. So for me, it's got to be a trap. Okay, we're going to move on from a game that had sort of a generic theme pasted onto it, onto one that has got, certainly in certain parts of Europe, one of the most anticipated themes probably on any board game ever. It is The Witcher Adventure Game. Now, if you're not aware of The Witcher IP, they are a series of novels which came out in Poland, and they are huge. 
huge loaves of bread over in Poland. Apparently, they get given to diplomatic visitors to the country and all sorts. They are massive over there and in other areas of Eastern Europe. There was also a couple of computer games based on The Witcher, and I think the release of this is going to be timed around the time when The Witcher 3 is going to come out. So there's a tie-in going on there. Um, they are a fantasy series. Now, each player in this adventure game is going to play one of the characters from the series, and they're all going to be going on adventures, and they're all going to be attempted to win under their own conditions, however. So you can help each other out when you go on quests, but, but I think alliances are shifting, and you're not always going to be helping each other out. You'll be going around trying to defeat monsters, gain treasure, complete quests, solve mysteries, do all sorts of different things within the world of the Witcher adventure game. Now, why is this such a big deal? And it surely must be a big deal. It must be on lots of people's radars. It is a dream team, 70s supergroup combination of Ignacy Trevisek from Portal Games and Fantasy Flight Games as the publisher. Uh, not two people or two companies ever see coming together and making the game, but it's happening. And when you talk about the stable between the two of them, you've got the likes of Robinson Crusoe, Descent, Stronghold, A Game of Thrones, 51st State, Netrunner, The Convoy, Arkham Horror, and we can go on and on and on. These are two big cheeses in the board game world. With this combination, however, you have got the highest, highest possible potential for both awesome and flawed awesome all at once coming together in the two of them who knows what this is going to be like there's a massively talented designer there there is a massive publisher who makes some amazing games but both have their own individual flaws and how they click together well that's going to be for us to wait and see in terms of gameplay itself there's not too much out at the moment superficially it looks something similar to Runebound or Eldritch Horror in that there is a map of the world, it looks like you go to different locations, there are cards associated with locations and you encounter what you encounter and you have different stats and what have you and you're going to deal with different issues. Uh, each of the characters looks like they play very differently I don't know the characters but there's a monster slayer, a sorceress, a warrior and a roguish bard uh, I like to think of Sean as the roguish bard of gaming podcasts, how do you think about that Sean? <laughs> Uh, pass. Okay. <laughs> what is superficially similar to Eldritch Horror and Runebound, I think the expectations are probably through the roof because Ignacy Trevishek, I don't know why I made myself say that twice, <laughs> is just highly, highly original in his designs. And certainly for me, I expect that he's going to do something more than just another adventure game. It's going to be very much a story-driven game. That's that his whole ethic behind games. He's written a book about the story behind games. I expect there's going to be lots of cards, lots of events, massive replayability, lots of differences between each play. I also have some concerns, but I'm going to let Sean come in first. Well, I've actually read the first Witcher book, and I've actually met the author. So I'm actually... Already name, interested. Name dropping. In name dropping without telling me. It was actually at the David Gemmell Awards, the very first David Gemmell Awards. Check you out. The, the first Witcher book won the award. So there you go. So I've already interested in it. I would, it's another one of those series that's on my reading list to, to do. And so I was keeping an eye on this one for a long time. It looks absolutely stunning. 
there's a, a pictures out if you go to their own website where they actually show you the game, the box, the board, and all the pieces laid out. And funny that Roland mentioned something like Eldritch Horror. It's just full of little cardboard pieces, just like Eldritch Horror, Arkham Horror, that kind of thing. Just like Eldritch Horror, it has all of those chits and cardboard tokens and just so many piles of things around the board but they all look stunning typical fantasy flight stunning production the thing that really really interests me is the character development now we talked about character development being really important to us in the terms of dungeons and dragons in our dnd episode and this Again, it talks about developing these characters, but they all develop in different ways. It's not like you're generic, you go from this to this to this. They're going to develop in slightly different ways, depending on the character. They're going to go off in arcs. And now I think, as Rona said, this guy's all about the story. These characters are going to have their own story arcs, I feel, in these games. And that's it just really interests me. So it, it, there's a lot of positives going on here. Let's just kind of bring in something on the other side. What are the chances of Ignacy and Fantasy Flight Games between them coming up with a readable rulebook? Now, I know you had major, major issues with uh, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, and... the guide pamphlet they put in instead of a rulebook was helpful. <laughs> and we've, we've, we have waxed lyrical many, many times on Fantasy Flight, but... The last Fantasy Flight game that we both learned and played, I think, unless you've played one since then, was Eldritch Horror. And I think that Fantasy Flight have started to learn, if that's anything to go by. That was the first Fantasy Flight rulebook that was well put together. It had a beginning, middle and end, and you were able to find all the things you needed because they were in the places where you thought you'd look for them. Well, it had the two rulebook system that we hadn't seen before. And that's got a rule book you can read, and it's got a second rule book which is a reference. So if you need to find anything, you just look in there, look it up, and you can. And it's brilliant. Battle or two has got the same thing, but you're wrong. The last Fantasy Flight game we learned and played together was for our upcoming LCG thing, and it was the Star Wars card game. How was that rule book, Sean? Oh uh, yeah, I forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pushed it from memory. <laughs> yeah. But you're right, actually. I think that they've shown in the pattern, as it's been, although it hasn't been for very long, that they have learned much, much better rulebooks. Are they going to be able to uh, get hold of the rulebook, though, before it gets published? Or are they just going to do a translation job uh, and give us... Especially with this sort of a game that appears to be a lot going on, you really need some decent rules. I think it took Stronghold three editions before it got a decent rulebook with it yeah as you said this game is one of those that's going to have tiny tiny little intricacies that are going to really determine how how you interpret the game and it's going to need all of those spelled out and almost like a, a mage knight style walkthrough of maybe a first the first level or something like that i th- but as as we said hopefully fantasy flight get hold of it and hopefully their newfound with eldritch horror vision for rule books stays on track and that and it actually produces a good rule book that we can enjoy the game straight off the bat so i said enjoy the game straight off the bat and i mean that i think i am going to enjoy this game i think it looks amazing i'm already a fan of the subject material so for me it was always going to be a treasure oh massive treasure massive 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 treasure i'm buying this there's no doubt about it 
he is such an interesting designer. They make such lovely games. We talked in our D&D episode about finding, you know, the ideal D&D game and what have you, and we haven't found it yet. Well, maybe we have. Maybe it's just over the horizon. This is going to be it. And that's the level of high hope I have for this. This is going to be awesome. Oh, well, there you go. Ignacy, hope you're listening. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure at all there. So, on to a game that's actually already hit the market in America. It's not quite out yet in the UK and is already doing so well that a second and third printing have been ordered. That's Marvel Dice Masters, the Avengers vs. X-Men, which is the first base set. It's by WizKids, designed by Mike Elliott, who done so much. She's done Lord of the Rings, the dice building game, Lost Legends, Fleet Captains, the Thunderstone and Thunderstone Advance games. And he's joined up with Eric M. Lang, another absolute legend in the, in the board gaming industry. And he's also the living card game guru, really, if you think he's done Call of Cthulhu, Warhammer Invasion, Game of Thrones, and Star Wars. He's also done the upcoming Chaos Ball, Chaos in the Old World, Trains and Stations, and Quarriers. So a lot of experience going into this game. And a lot of experience with the type of game that it is as well. So it's going to be a two-player game, and they they reckon it's going to be about 15 minutes long each game. It's a game based heavily, or completely, on the Marvel comic books, and it's a battle with dice, basically. So this is very, very much in the mold of Quarriers. The Marvel Dice Masters adopts the basic mechanics from Quarriers, but uses characters from the Marvel Universe to do your bidding. The game encompasses the drawing of dice, and using power results to either obtain better hero dice or put them in battle for you against your opponent. Players must use those dice to inflict damage on their opponents or to block damage aimed at them. The hero dice come with cards and they will detail all the characters' unique skills and special powers. And yeah, if you've ever played Quarriors, you're going to know exactly how this game's going to set up and look. And therein lies one of my issues, but I'm going to let Ronan jump in first. I play games with my... 11 year old daughter and my 11 year old nephew and they think that dc deck building game is the best game not only that there is but that there ever could be in any universe ever this is going to be their favorite game in this or any other universe ever they are going to absolutely adore it and that i think is the exact level it's pitched at 11 year olds calling me an 11 year old only mentally physically you're 11 men <laughs> my issue with this is for me and i think for you as well ronan quarriers didn't work <laughs> it just didn't work it just it, it was just a little bit of nonsense it was a great idea that really didn't materialize now is this game going to be exactly the same but with marvel characters or have they tweaked it that's the big question for me well i think this is going to be an issue of two things firstly expectations we know that Mr. Dice Tower Tom Vassell has been bigging this game up to the hilt, left, right, and center. That's cool. A man has a right to love any game he wishes to, okay? But I think it might have raised expectations. And also, every time someone gets asked, is it the same as Quarries? No, it's not the same as Quarries. No, it's not the same as Quarries. But initial reports coming across now from the US are going, it is very much the same as Quarries. I don't expect this to be what I thought Quarries was going to be. Quarries came out on the back of a lot of heat out of Gen Con. People were loving it. They thought it was the best thing ever. I think it probably was a really good con game and it was quick to pick up. It was lots of fun. Roll some dice when you're tired and you're doing lots of things and great. 
That's what I expect this to be. So firstly, I'm managing my own expectations on it. I don't expect as much of it as I did from the Quarriers hype or I could do from the hype that's surrounding this. The second point I think is, and this comes into the other controversy around it, is the collectible point. I think the whole sort of dice pool building issue is what's going to make this probably more fun than Quarriers. In Quarriers, I know there was a variable set up and, and what have you, and different things were available, but you weren't building your own team. I think that changed to be able to build your own team of dice up and adjust your own strategy pre-game or between games and to, to tweak it a little or add just enough to make it worth the 20 or 30 minutes it takes to play. Make it so it's not completely meaningless, maybe. Although, of course, that means that you have to put in the the extra outlay in order to be able to build up your team. But from the price they're quoting, it's not over here yet, so we don't know, but from the price that it's going over in America, if it's anything like that, I think that that's really reasonable. It's a pound for a pack with, with dice and cards in. That seems perfectly reasonable to me. All right, the components do look like they're a little bit crappy, maybe like the Quarriers ones, but when they're that cheap, I'm not that fast. So manage my expectations. I don't expect too much out of it. It gives you that little thing where you can build your team in between, and that makes it enough for me, I think, that I'm not, I don't have a Quarriers sense of doom about it. It's actually the base set. The, the first base set is actually coming in here about £15, give or take. So and that's, that's ridiculous, that's isn't it? Because we're just going to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a three well, out of ten and we'd buy everything. I think now. people are still people are already pimping it for like twelve quid as well, so yeah, I think we've got our pocket money in our pockets, so after after finishing school we'll we'll pop along to the game shop to and probably to buy this. And not buy sets for the same people in our family. <laughs> Every child in our family is getting this for Christmas. Do I get it, Roland? <laughs> no. Move oh. So they're gonna really tap into the L C G element with this with as Roland said, just you can buy small packs and add-on packs and it's just going to be like back in the playground when you were swapping your your trading cards or your your football stickers and i think there's definitely going to be got need badly need it need it what i'll, I'll give you everything <laughs> just for that one card please give me my little sister for that <laughs> so i think yeah it's going to be it's going to have that element to it and yeah, you can build up your own superhero group, and as they the more come out, I think it's kind of it's a dice version of Hero Clicks from what I'm looking at. Well, that, that's some fighting talk you're gonna have to deal with your nephew if you carry on like that. Like like my nephew won't be all over this. Oh, he's gonna love it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for me, yeah, I think it's so it's based on quarries, which I really didn't like. It looks like it's got not that great quality components the initial reports out of america are not that great it's got a really annoying collectible aspect to it obviously it's a treasure i'm gonna buy it move on sean i'm gonna buy it they've done it yeah same as ronan said couriers bit of a disaster in my household just didn't work very disappointing traded it this has added a comic book theme is that enough to win me over of course it is i've just bought the legendary paint the town red expansion and it had moon knight in it I got beyond excited. I nearly phoned Ronan at three o'clock in the morning to tell him about it. Of course I'm going to buy it. Of course it's a treasure.
Right, cracking on into what is only our seventh game of the episode so far. This is Impulse. Now, Impulse is a quick-playing, another 4X game, but this one is actually based in space. It is from Carl Chuddick, who's the designer of Innovation and Glory to Rome and Euchronia, which is kind of a, a take on Glory to Rome. And it's published by Asmodee. Not Asmodee, but Asmodee. Well, that's not confusing at all. Who published uh, Innovation, Fealty, and Flowerfall, which is also from Culturedic. That's a really cool little filler if you can ever get hold of it. Each player controls a fleet of ships, be they an, an emperor, whatever you want to call them. And they're exploring an area of space. And they're all attempting to earn enough prestige. Uh, and it's 20 points is what you're trying to get in order to, for the people who live in that area of space to declare them as their rulers. And that's what you're trying to do. And you're going to be trying to earn prestige by destroying other players' ships, by controlling uh, areas of the galaxy, which, which are represented by cards laid out on the board, specifically this, the central areas, or trading or refining what you've mined. Now, that all sounds very race for the galaxy in terms of theme. Uh, and I guess it kind of is because this is a race to 20 points and it is in the galaxy. It is card driven, but it plays quite differently. As with Innovation and Glory to Rome, each of the cards have got multiple uses and you're going to be deciding how to use them in the game. You can add them to the impulse itself. That is a chain of cards which have been laid out and they all have a certain action on them. You, from your hand, you add one card to the impulse each turn. And then you take an action on every card that is ready in the impulse. It's usually going to be four cards long. So the cards that other players have laid down, they're going to force you to take that action on your turn. And the cards you lay down, the players after you are going to be able to take that action. So it's very much interactive in that aspect. You get to see what you do affects everyone else. You're also going to be able to lay cards down as technology. And that allows customization of your own empire. Allows you to attempt different strategies and go in certain ways. And you're going to have ships which start on the board. And you're going to be using them to spread out. And where you leave a certain type of ship allows you to take actions because the cards that represent the galaxy actually have actions on them. Like I said, they're all multiple use. Other ships allow you to go out and attack each other and kill each other and what have you. It is supposed to play in 30 minutes. I reckon probably a wee bit longer than that. It had, came out in a pre-production copies at the end of last year, but it's not fully available yet. And they were... They were nice, but they weren't full production quality. It was a chance for people to get to play it and get an idea and get their heads around it. Sean, Impulse, quick 4X game. What do you think? Well, for a game that the designer says plays 15 minutes per person, there is a whole heap of stuff going on in this. You've got, of course, you've got the 4X things, but... The exploring is, it looks like almost like fleet captains with the cards on the table that you flip over. You've got bat the battle elements going on. Although the battle is quite simple, it is actually very strategic in how you play the cards to supplement the attack of the ships and the impulse track. Really, really interesting. Is that going to drive the whole game? Probably from what I'm looking at. Hand management going on. It's a lot of stuff going on. With just for 15 minutes per person. Is it going to be too much? It's weird because I know people who have got the pre-production copy and I didn't get a chance to play it before he went back to Belgium. and I'm gutted. But from him teaching other people, it seems like it taught really quite quickly. And 
a lot of all that stuff that's going on, it appears quite intuitive. The cards are quite easy to read. You can tell exactly what they do. And it appears to do this right in that the information given to you is quite simple. The stuff you can do with your cards is relatively simple. And then the complexity comes then from how you choose to use them, what opportunities you give the other players in the impulse, how you decide to, to put your technology down and how you decide to move around the board. That's what adds the complexity to the game. So one of your favorite sayings, possibly easy to learn, hard to master. Quite possibly, quite possibly. You're cheating a bit there by actually having seen someone do the rules, but we'll let you off. Um, there are rules to this? What? Huh? <laughs> so, yeah, I, oh, it's difficult. My instinct tells me that there's too much going on in this for a, a quick game. A qu even if it is a 4X game, there's just too much going on. But it does look really intriguing, and that, that impulse track really, really interests me. So... Oh, I'm on. I'm on the fence with this one, Ronan. No fence sitting. You got to choose uh, for one. All right. I think there might just be a little bit too much going on, so it's a trap. From Carl Chaddock's designs previously, Flowerfall, I think, is a load of fun. I absolutely hated innovation. I, I might have learned it in the wrong environment, what have you. It seemed like mental chaos going on, and I won. And I don't still don't know how. Uh, I quite like Glory to Rome, but I haven't played it enough to know it very well but I, I like it on first impressions haven't played it a couple of times this i think to me has a theme that interests me it seems like the interaction between the cards is not as complicated as in some of his other games which can lead to a bit of obfuscation when first playing a bit of difficulty in getting your head around what's going on and i think that this is going to be a treasure and i'm definitely interested in it Okay, moving on to a game from new company Mirrorbox Games, and that's Chaosmos. It's designed by Joey Vigur, and it's his first game, and it plays two to four players. It is a sci-fi space game with bluffing, deduction, and exploration with some hand management, dice rolling, trading, and more. Now, just a little bit of additional info about this one. This one funded with $136,361 of a 40000 goal on Kickstarter. So that really did well on Kickstarter. So the aim of the game is to finish in possession of a card called the Ovoid. This Ovoid will give you the ability to shape a new universe because the one that the players are now in is collapsing. So obviously the Ovoid is the only way that that race is going to survive. There are a handful of surviving worlds and each player is going to represent agents from these planets trying to obtain and keep, which is the main thing, the Ovoid. Players will move around the cosmos, battling other players and looking to raid their home worlds. Each home world will have an envelope and some cards and these can be plundered, but beware, players can set traps and deception is one of the main things going on in this game from what we can see. The players are going to start out not knowing where the Ovoid is, but soon theories will surface and players holding the Ovoid are going to try to keep hold of it by hook or by crook or send people different ways or blame other people. So that's where the heart of this game lies for me, Ronan. This is interesting. I can see why it attracted so much attention on Kickstarter because if this works, if the concept behind it comes through, 
this will be fantastic. The whole idea of bluffing and faking each other out and looking at each other's vulnerabilities, making someone think there's something important on a planet and in that envelope and then actually setting a trap in there for them and the ability to make deals and be like, well, oh, there's something bad in here for you and there's something good. I will take out something bad if you do this for me and all the rest of that player interaction just seems like it could be fantastic. But there are only 70 cards in the game and they're all in play for each game. How replayable does that make it? How soon does it become that, oh, if I'm this particular alien with this strength and this weakness, this is what I have to do. And if I'm that particular alien with that strength and that weakness, that's what I have to do. And how much sort of a group think is going to come into play and how quickly? Well, let me just first say, surely this game is absolutely made for you, Mr. Table Chat. <laughs> what, Honest Ronan? <laughs> Honest Ronan. Who people never ever learn from. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yes, I can see your point. Yeah, there isn't a lot of variety, it would appear, if all the cards are always in play and you start with the same cards, etc. for each alien. But I really, really like the thought of this. I love the theatre of actually having an envelope that people will go in when they land on the home world or attack somebody and they open up this envelope and pull this card out and it's, oh, it's a trap. Or I've got the, or I'm not going to say they've got the envelope because they've got to keep it secret. You probably and would. I probably would because I am that silly. But, and then, like, where is the overweight? He's acting very suspicious in the corner over there. He hasn't said anything for five minutes, which is what Ronan would usually point out. <laughs> and <laughs> he must have the overweight, all the while knowing that Ronan's sitting there with the overweight. Well, so... well, what's all the Ronan bashing about? We haven't even played it yet. <laughs> We've played games like this, and it's exactly this type of stuff you Move do. On, get over it. Underhanded. Anyway, I, I'm not bitter, honest. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I just think this game has the potential to be an absolute showstopper. I think it does have the potential. I think you're right. I think potential is there. I think that it is obviously going to be massively group dependent. There are just some people this is not going to work with. And there are some people with, which has the potential to be amazing. And that is dependent upon who you are and how you like to play a game. Because some people will mix it well in a game like this and other people won't mix well. And you'll play it with different styles. Different groups will play it differently. And we always come back to it. It reminds me a bit of Avalon like that. Certain people like playing Avalon with certain people. Other people like playing it with other people. Whatever. I do think that within the system, though, there is a lot of possibility of frustration. There are situations and people have already encountered it during playtesting whereby because of the combination of traps and what have you, they know where the overwood is, but they can't go and get it. And they're stuck there just doing something useless until someone else does something. Now, that can be from clever play. If you think someone else knows where the overwood is and you set a trap there for them, knowing they can't go there, okay. But it can just be because people are mixing cards around and it just happens to you randomly and suddenly you know you can't win the game, there's nothing you can do about it. So, uh, it's so much potential but so much potential also for things to go wrong. And I'm, not, I'm still not quite sure how it raised that much money on Kickstarter. 
Oh, it looks amazing as well. It actually, it looks really good. The design is amazing. I don't think you're going to get half the things in the game that comes out in the market that you got on the Kickstarter version. So that's possibly part half the reason. People are always after the pretties, aren't they? But yeah, it will be group dependent. And I think there are certain people out there that just aren't going to have the negotiation skills really to to be able to play a game like this and they're just gonna they're, they're onto a hide into nothing if they do try and play a game like this but there is an audience out there and people tend to know who to invite into a game like this and who not to and it's not it's not out of disrespect it's just that person won't enjoy it that person just won't get on with the game and this person will so but if you do get the right group and they fix some of these issues where you can just get blocked for no for no great play by someone else or no fault of your own. Oh, I think this could be amazing. Okay. Uh, my final thoughts on Chaos Mars are it's a trap. I think the system is too loose and it, the, you're just going to get dud games of it. I can see why people are really enjoying it because when you've got someone there showing you how to play a game like this, then yeah, sure, it's lots of fun, but... It just doesn't seem like it's it's going to be tight enough to, to work enough times. But it's a trap with lots of gold hidden inside it. So if you're willing to take that spear in the face in order to get the treasure sometimes, then, then go for it. I think everything Ronan has said is absolutely right. But I think there is so much possibility with this game that it just has to be given a chance. So I'm going to say it's a treasure. Okay, let's move on. The next game we are going to be discussing is Kanban Automotive Revolution. This is coming from Vital Lacerda, who is the designer of CO2 and Vinyos, two big, heavy Euro games with interesting themes on them. One with regards to energy and pollution, the other one winemaking. And it's being published by Stronghold Games, who published CO2 and also the likes of Core Worlds, the Space Cadets games, Revolver, did lots of reprints when they first came into business. Kanban. What is Kanban? Kanban is the system which started off in Japanese factories, which in order them to work with kind of less stock on hand and more efficiency and more accuracy if you like and work within what's called like a lean system and keeping everything smooth and lean and nothing hanging around and no nothing sitting still for too long within the car making industry and it's now a system that has spread around the world due to the efficiency it creates and obviously Vital has seen this and decided he can make a board game out of it which already is something quite interesting to me that he's taken this real world sort of efficiency engine and brought it into the gaming world in which obviously a lot of euro games especially are about efficiency so trying to marry up real life to gaming there it is most certainly going to be a very deep euro vinyas and ci2 both of them i got as far as reading the rules and then got scared and realized I didn't particularly want to ever teach them. So I'm waiting for someone else to come and teach them to me. Um, Kanban, I can only imagine it's got a two hour playing time from the description so far. What we know about it is going to be in the same 
genre, lots of moving parts, lots of thoughts, stepped processes, which all have to be lined up together in order to get to a final product, which obviously, you know, as an abstraction of the car making process is very apt. Um, it seems that possibly there might be a, possibly a push your luck almost a that's probably the wrong name for it but whereby you're trying to streamline things down so much so that if you try and get something too tight then suddenly boom that blows up your whole uh, production line and everything kind of slows down again because you've pushed it too far and how close you can get to that edge and is having 10 of that part on hand too many or is it too few we run out before you can get more in or do you have to hold only two or is it 30 or what's the right level and trying to pitch that each game depending upon which models there's demand for and how you're going to make the most money through this car making process now that description either excites you about a game or it doesn't a deep multi-layered multi-process euro based upon making the automobile creation process as efficient as possible. Sean, am I ringing your bells? Well, Ronan, I don't think if I'd have scrolled through a list of games a thousand times over, I would ever have stopped on Kanban, the automotive revolution. What are you trying to say about that title, Sean? I'm just saying it doesn't scream excitement at me, Ronan. It doesn't scream wonder. How about Kanban Car Dice Wars? That's more like That's it. Now we're talking. Now if we drop the Kanban, we're on to a winner. <laughs> and beyond the title? Beyond the title, I had a look at it. I cursed your name a few times after I saw the title. But it is actually quite interesting. I like the fact that this factory manager who's going to control what you do to a certain degree is driven by the actual game itself. Now, how integral that's going to be to how the game works, it seems like it's going to be a pretty major player in, in how the game works in the end. So how do you think that's going to pan out? Yeah, the, the factory manager is almost an AI which drives the whole factory within which you work and you are looking to manage the actual Kanban system itself and the sort of supply and demand issue and to make sure that each process within the factory is able to continue running at its optimum. Um, and you're all workers within the factory, each player competitively. So you're, you're trying to sort of shine to the boss, if you like. Uh, and there's also a board, which I think guess has strategic view as to what's going on. And I'm picking up, they're going to give instructions or goals to the factory manager and you're going to have to try and be the best worker although that's a very abstracted term because you're not just a worker but the perhaps the best manager of your own section of the factory in order to please the factory manager the factory manager can be on a happy or a mean setting which i think is quite funny so we've all got bosses who are happy and we've all got bosses who are mean who would we rather be working for on a particular day i really like the idea that there's something there to answer to the game Especially sell it on me and the game hates you and wants you to fail in your job, apparently. Uh, is it too close to real life, Sean? Is that getting too close? Ah, oh, you stole the words from my mouth. I work in a control room setting in the transport industry. And it just, it just feels like work. It just feels like I would be leaving work, rushing, rushing somewhere to play this game where it would just remind me of work again. Maybe I would play this after a week's holiday or something, when I start to miss work. Well, actually, that never happens, but maybe. 
yeah, it just it just feels like although although the goals are transferred into the car making industry etc but it just feels like the goals are the same and the same processes that i would go through at work it's all the same impressing somebody coming up with new ideas to streamline things in at work it's the streamline how we deal with situations that may delay trains or upset customers so it just feels like more work maybe it'll make you better at work that is impossible <laughs> Now, whether that is I can't improve or I am the best I can be, I will leave that to your own imagination. <laughs> no imagination needed. <laughs> well, his previous games, without being themed like this, made me feel like they were a bit like work. Now, I said I haven't played them. Vinyos, I have witnessed and sat next to and been half taught and went, do you know, is there anyone else who wants to play this? Because I was tired. It was after a shift at work and I was like, wow. It's one of those Euro games that we've discussed previously that I think makes... You're not making difficult decisions on which easy action to do. You are doing a series of easy actions which make something in the long term difficult. So you're having to go through multiple steps of a process just to get something done. And it's not a particular set of games that I enjoy a lot. It's Things that have been big hits like Terra Mystica, I just feel like there's too many steps you have to go through to get anything done. It's frustrating. Or Zolkin, I like Zolkin, but I'm not as enamoured as other people are because there's too many steps to go through. And I felt that with Vinyas, I felt that with CO2, and I'm getting a little bit of that from Kanban as well. In that, but but for some reason in this setting, I feel like it's not as annoying because possibly thematically he's put I'm, i expect to be in that position and i am i haven't got overall view so my doing my small steps to improve the overall efficiency feels like the right thing i should be doing in this team i don't know it maybe not express myself very well but there's a certain set of games that kind of put me off because i feel like it takes me an hour and a half before i've achieved anything yeah agreed for me the theme does nothing for me the name does nothing for me. Actually, it looks quite, quite a pleasant game. It looks quite bright and well-designed and lots of things going on, your own player boards. But it just doesn't capture me. I'd, if I'm finishing work, I want to I go to a different thing completely. I want to I lose myself in a fantasy world or I want to battle with superheroes or do something like that. But yeah, this isn't isn't for me so for me it's a trap for me the make or break on this is whether it's just that theme that's going to be quite innovative or is he going to bring in some innovative mechanisms to go with the theme if there are interesting innovative mechanisms underneath it then i'm definitely going to be interested if it's just a theme but with the same little small steps again just trying to get something done i'm not that interesting currently I'm not that interesting. I am not that interesting. But I'm also not that interested. Currently, it's a trap. But it's a trap that's going to be worth watching because I, I, I do want to see how this one goes. So, if I was cursing Ronan's name during the research for Kanban, I'm almost sure Ronan was cursing my name during the research for Cluster Fight. Touch! 
<laughs> it's published, well, it's self-published, but it's backed by Game Salute uh, through the Kickstarter process, designed by Sam Liberty and Kevin Spack. And these are two guys that designed this game. It's been in the works for, for years and years. They've had their own self-produced copies, and as they say themselves, they were asked so many times to, could you make this? And they were forever just making these bog standards. So they thought, you know what, why don't we go and do this properly? It plays 3 to 12, so it's a proper party game. And the playtime really, really differs depending on where you go. If you go on Board Game Geek, it's 25 minutes. And if you go on Kickstarter, it's 45 minutes. So somewhere in between those two, I'd imagine. It's a party game of fighting and negotiation that basically adds mechanics, including betting and storytelling into it as well. Now, this wasn't a huge hit on Kickstarter, so I'm wondering if we will ever see any copies of this coming over to this country that weren't that aren't Kickstarter ones. It, it that depends. Well, I suppose we'll have to just wait and see because this just made eleven thousand six hundred and twelve dollars, and that was off a five hundred dollar target. So they didn't set the their site's too high. The game is going to throw famous names from history, literature, sports, film, etc. together into hypothetical battles. The players are going to choose their combatant. Bets are then going to be made. And then after the bets are made, mitigating cards are played. So, for instance, it could be Mike Tyson taking on Gandhi. Now, obviously, people are going to say, right, we're going to put money on Mike Tyson. But you've got to be careful because the mitigating cards could turn Mike Tyson into a three-inch miniature and could turn Gandhi's arms into missiles. That's that's the way, that's the kind of thing that, that happened. So these mitigating cards are going to change how the fight takes place in terms of the combatants and also where the fight takes place. So if it was India and Gandhi happened to have a, a thousand Indian people with him. So that kind of thing. So the person selected as the judge for this round will announce what character has won the fight. So each person putting their case forward has to convince this judge who's going to win the fight. And the other people are all betting on it and they're going to weigh in and try and convince the judge that because they bet on the thing. So the owner of the winning fight uh, and whoever bet on him will collect the points and that's how it goes. It'll just be a round robin with different people taking on the role of the judge. It's an interesting game, Ronan. Who would win in a fight? Ronan, enraged by being made to research this game, (laughs) versus Sean, who's so furry. Okay, so you tell me to research Classify or was it Story War? Or was it Super Fight? Or was it Who Would Win? Or was it blah, blah, there are four million of this game out. Four million, I counted. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not even really an idea. It's what kids have been doing in playgrounds since the dawn of playgrounds. Who would win in a fight? My dad or your dad? Or... Oh, I was, I was watching football the other night. Who'd win in a fight? Glenn Hoddle or Ian Rush? Are you Apologies. revealing your age there, Mr. I oh, know, I really am. I really am. But that's when I was a kid. So, <laughs> <sighs> so their unique selling point, I'm being very generous there, I used the word unique, is that the reveals should be funny. Right? How many reveals mm-hmm. are they going to be before it start, stops being funny? Because there's no game. 
You said yourself, Mike Tyson versus Gandhi, who do I bet on? I might as well flip a coin. Because I've got no idea what's on those cards. And then I've got no idea what the judge is going to judge. And then I have no idea of anything. There is no game there. All right? It's just completely random as to what the cards are. You don't know until they get revealed. And then what are you left with? Something slightly funny for a short amount of time. Yeah, it's, it's as I said, it's a playground discussion upgraded to a pub discussion. Right. That's That's basically what it is. And also... Ronan, did you take a look at that stunning artwork on the cards? <sighs> Can you tell by my disgust that I did? <laughs> oh my days. It's... I, I went in there thinking... By the way, it's not be... often that a man can, can come out with a legitimate oh my days, but in this I'm going to let you get away with it. Thank you, thank you. I think it deserved it. It's not caricatures as I thought it might be. It's nothing other than a brick wall with that person's name on it and a few figures at the bottom of the card. Who, who, what genius thought of a slave for, for days and days in an art studio to come up with a brick wall and a name on the back? Just... You're, not, you're not expecting me to comment on this, are you? Not really. I'm just having a rant. I, I want to point out, obviously, we're, not, we're giving this game a bit of a kick in. Let me point out one other issue with it, all right? Now, the guys said that they got requested to um, reprint this, and that's why they went ahead and did it, which is cool. I'm sure that lots of people had loads of fun with it, all right? Here's two reasons why that doesn't work as a published game. Firstly, over those years, I bet they made a ton of new cards constantly. They were able to change things, put in current references, you know, whatever is the zeitgeist at the moment, just jump on it to make jokes out of it, okay? You can't do that once you've printed the game and it's out. So there's a limited number of cards in there. Secondly, the print and pray version and the cards they put up while the Kickstarter was running. Now, they're not up anymore, but the ones they had when they were running, let's give you some of them. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Homer Simpson, Superman, Katniss Everdeen, Batman. Now, I don't know. But I don't think they've paid the hundreds of thousands of pounds that's going to cost you in IP infringement. And they've all now been taken down. And you're not getting those things. It was sold falsely. You can't have Katniss Everdeen in your game, mate. Not unless you've paid a lot of money. You can't have Superman. It's not happening. So now we're down to Tyrannosaurus Rex and Abraham Lincoln. And that's the actual product you're getting, which is way less funny. And... When the whole point of the game is funny, then it's just become less funny, and it's become... Why am I still talking about it? Sean, it's a trap. Yeah, it goes back to the old Street Fighter, M. Bison. <sighs> uh, yeah, I listen, serious head on. I love the idea behind the game. It did take me back to, to those discussions in the pub and, and or in the playground back in the day. But as Ryan said, it just there's not enough to it. It's not really a game. And I hadn't even really thought about the copyright angle. So, so yeah, and as, as Rona said, they've had to take out all the copyright infringement stuff. And it's left us with probably not the most interesting characters, not the, certainly from modern day, and absolute definition of a trap for me. Let's move on to an actual game, Sean. This is our penultimate game for this episode, and it is Fire in the Lake. Now, Fire in the Lake is the fourth in the coin series of games which have come out from GMT publishers and they've all been designed by Volko Runk. And they were Andean Abyss, Cuba Libre, A Distant Plane were the first three. And 
they were set in various areas of the world uh, and in abyss down in South America, distant plain Afghanistan, for example. Fire on the Lake is based in Vietnam, around the Vietnam conflict in the 60s and 70s. And it's for one to four players. And as in the other coin series of games, players take charge of a faction involved in a conflict. The designers in this case, Vuko Ronka is back again designing. He designed those other three games. He also designed Labyrinth. And he has been joined this time by Mark Herman. Now, Mark Herman has designed a ton of actual war games, including the really popular Washington's War, We the People and For the People, kind of re-implementations of each other there. Um, and he's a big name in war game design. And for him to jump on board is, is quite the thing. In terms of these Queen games, what are they? Well, they're quite complex. I'd say actually really quite complex card-driven conflict games not necessarily war games because they deal with conflicts that are probably a little bit more nuanced than you would find or call an actual war so for example Andean Abyss is to do with with the drug production in in South America and it's to do with different factions involved in there and distant plane was the insurgency and obviously here in the Vietnam again you've got a slightly more sort of nuanced situation in which you've got the communists and, and you've got South Vietnamese and you've got America in and what have you so it's political and it's war and it's trying to win on various different fronts the the, the whole sort of situation all the games are mechanically very deep but also very thematic they are based on on real life situations they have cards which are real situations that occurred they attempt to create pivotal events within those situations and try to obviously in a very abstracted way reproduce these conflicts in in enough depth to make it feel like you're, you're really actually dealing with something proper here and not trivializing serious issues this, like I say, is the fourth one. Uh, you kind of know where it's coming from in terms of the first three. However, the addition of Mark Herman gives a slightly different spin on it. Sean, before I go any further, what's your initial thoughts Fire in the Lake? Okay, confession, I have never played a GMT war-based, conflict-based game. So I'm coming at this from a standpoint of a bit of ignorance to be honest and Ronan will probably say that's the way I cover everything why, but... why am I be the baddie this, why this week <laughs> <laughs> never said the word man you were thinking it so they've always interested me I've always been really interested in, in these games but at a suggested playing time of three hours I really don't have the time at the moment in my life with a young child to actually put the time into getting into one of these games. And I imagine it's one of those types of game where you really, you play first to learn it and then you start actually finding the nuances of the game and how, how it actually plays out and the little tweaks that you can do to really become effective and good at the game. So I, I don't know at the moment, maybe in a couple of years I'm going to have time to actually start investing some time into these types of games. And yeah, this one looks as good as any to start with. Well, it's the theme I'm really interested in. I've done you know, a fair bit of reading about Vietnam. If there was any I was going to take the plunge on, it would be either... Uh, one based on the, the sort of War on Terror, so Labyrinth, which isn't exactly a coin game, but it's fairly similar, or a Distant Plane, or this one. Those are the two themes that I know something about. I had Labyrinth, 
um, which came from Volcarunka before. It could almost be seen as a predecessor of these coin series games, only it was for only one or two players. Um, and I learned it, and I played through it a couple of times solo, and then I traded it for exactly the same issues you've just said, Sean. I just don't have the time to to, to take this on and, and give up all those other games we'll be playing because everyone's playing time is limited to some degree. If I had three other players that I had access to constantly and I thought we could stand each other's company for long enough and we all agreed to get into a game like this, I think I would be in gaming heaven. I just really love the whole idea of it. But to, to find those people, to get them to give up what is our preferences, you know, you prefer to play a thematic game, I prefer to play probably a medium weight Euro kind of thing, to, to kind of give up the, the ability to play those games because of limited time and, and to take on something like this and play it constantly again and again and again, I'm not sure I'm that sort of a gamer. I'd like to be. Every time I see them, I think I am. Um, I got offered some of the, the Queen games. and I haven't played any of the Queen games yet, but I got offered to play one or two of them recently at LobsterCon, a whole weekend away of gaming, and I still never got around to it. And I can't claim that I was busy doing great gaming for the whole time. Something is stopping me doing it. It's also, I'll say, that it says three hours. These games have got almost perfect information. So everyone can pretty much tell where everyone else is in the game. And if people want to really analyze the situation all the time, wow, these games can bog down. They can really slow down and become quite tetchy. And AP can be amazingly bad. So it would really have to be the right group to play it with. Also, in terms of this one, it says one to four players, but there's actually two teams. So as you can imagine, so... Really, you're, you're just playing on a team. Although you only get an individual win, you, you kind of have to work together with each other. So it has been suggested if you've got two experienced coin players and two inexperienced coin players, this will be a good one to bring them in on because you can play one experienced, one inexperienced player on each side, kind of side, you know, of, of, of the conflict, uh, and that might help them out. So that's just something interesting to note. I think <laughs> we've, we've agreed quite a lot on this one already. Really love the idea of it. Sean, do you want to just... Give the final thoughts on what you think about uh, Fire and Lake. And by the way, it looks surprisingly good for a GMT game. <laughs> um, right, I During my research for this, I had a look at Andy and Abyss, which is the first of the coin series of games. Now, I had a look at a couple of playthrough videos. I had a look at a couple of reviews. And it really, really did look interesting. And... There's like elements of that sort of area control coming in and elements of sort of obviously a conflict game and strategy and tactics. It's all of it thrown in there. So I'm really, really interested and I hope one day to actually be able to play this. Now, if we ever do find the time and if we ever do think, you know, well, let's do this, play this. I think from what I've read, the barrier to entry of these isn't as bad as I first thought there is a very good rule book that comes with it as everyone who's played it says and also there's a walkthrough uh, we talked about well, I talked about Mage and I earlier having that walkthrough because it's such a complex game this does Andy and Abyss certainly I'm not sure about Fire in the Lake certainly has a complete walkthrough that tells you exactly what to do exactly why you're doing it and exactly what the results of that are going to be excellent so if we ever do play it i'm sure i'm going to learn loads about the vietnam war or the colombian drug war i think it, i think it's a treasure for people who enjoy this sort of games and i'll say it's a treasure 
we why we're agreeing? At least we had to agree in one in twelve games. <laughs> I'm sure. I am sure this is a great game. Okay, absolutely one hundred percent. Will I buy it? Probably not, because it won't get played. And I have got a lot of games that I own that I don't that never get played, and it's difficult to add to it. It's one of those that maybe I'd put up as my secret Santa wish list, or for a trade or something like that, where I'd love to get hold of it, but I can't bring myself to pay for it. Just oh, I'm itching. I would love, love, love to say yes, buy this game and play it loads. I just don't think it will ever happen. But if it at all, if you've got any interest in it at all, I would go for it. I really think this is a from what I can tell on the outside, a fantastic series of games. So, personal trap, but general treasure. And Sean, do you want to finish us off for this episode? So next up is, and lastly, is a legendary encounter, an alien deck building game, which comes from Upper Deck Entertainment and is in the stable of legendary, the Marvel deck building game. Now, I couldn't quite work out who the designer was, uh, and I'm going to assume it's Devin Lowe who designed the Marvel version of Legendary. It plays one to five players, about 45 minutes to an hour and a quarter, given experience of the players. And it is a cooperative deck building game set in the Alien universe. So not a whole heap being released about this one at all. So far, we know that it plays similarly, but not identically to Legendary, the Marvel deck building game. And... Two games are compatible to a degree, but can't be fully integrated. So all that's been released from this game really is the box design, and I think a couple of BGG users have found a design possibly from a card, and a little bit of artwork. So, Ronan, we are we are fans of the Marvel deck building game. So what do you think about this coming out? Well, the good news is to me is that it's not the same as Marvel Legendary because when I heard that they were just going to do an alien version of Marvel Legendary I was like what is the point one of the interesting and probably the most interesting about Marvel Legendary is how different it is in each game you've got so many different super villains that play differently you got that can't be really reproduced unless you're just doing a variation on themes of aliens constantly and then you're going to break away from the whole alien themes why have an alien theme the, the schemes, I guess, kind of, you can have some variety, but in terms of a whole Marvel Universe variety you have, as opposed to the Alien Universe, again, you're lacking. The different characters you can have in the Marvel license, as opposed to the variety of characters in the Alien license, Marvel obviously has the edge. Why would you bother reproducing the same game with a less varied theme when variety is a massive selling point? So when I heard it was just an Aliens version of Legendary, I was like... Pfft. I've got no interest, despite, you know, liking the Aliens franchise and what have you. The fact that it's not, it's this legendary Encounters system, which initially they were being quite disingenuous about. And they were saying, no, no, it's a legendary game. It's definitely a legendary game. Yeah, Wolverine will be able to kill aliens. And then when there was kickback against it, they went, oh, well, actually, no, it's not really the same. It's very different. It's just got the legendary name on it because it's got very small similarities and you won't be able to integrate them and... Suddenly they're realising, oh, that's a bad idea. The bad news is, the fact that they're putting a legendary name on it and some people are going to expect it to be a legendary game is going to annoy people because as information comes out, I think it's becoming clear, this isn't a legendary game. They're just using the name. 
encounters is actually the important part of that name there. So from not interested to more interested in it, but aware that they've probably annoyed some people because I'm not sure they're being fully open as to what is this game? How much legendary is it? How integrated is it? How similar are the systems? They really need to put out some more information because this seems like they've got something to hide in the fact that they're just not telling us. Yeah, and they, they haven't denied that it's not compatible. And in fact, they they continue to say it's compatible, but um, not fully integratable. So That's a play yeah, on just, words, isn't it? I mean, what you know, yeah. is it or isn't it compatible? Exactly. So I just don't see, at the moment, if it's compatible at all, it's going to have to have some of the the same the same mechanics to it surely it's going to be driven by the same mechanics that drive the marvel game so for me if that is at all true why would owners of the marvel legendary game even bother picking up this well as ryan said this is very much a enclosed world where you can't really go in any any different directions you haven't got this absolute awe-inspiring complete cosmos of, of of things that marvel can bring to the plate so i just don't know where they're going with this and I, it worries me i'm hoping that you choose a character maybe have you know a start deck or what have you and then the things that come out in, in which, you know, you can build your deck with are then maybe bits of equipment or tactics or things like that. Because, you know, trying to do it with characters is not going to work as far as I'm concerned. And then in terms of the encounter situation, I know we're going to have to be defeating aliens, but I just hope they change it. And I think we're probably talking about that too much. Mechanically, the biggest issue with Legendary is that it's not that tight. Firstly, before we go into kind of the main issue I have with it, is that you just sometimes get games that don't work, and sometimes the combination of cards that comes out early means you're screwed, or you're definitely going to win. And each game, and it's I can accept it because of the huge variability within the game, but it seems like with this, is there a chance there for them to tighten it up a bit more and make the experience a bit tighter and whilst they're having variety, not having it so that you have complete blowouts or complete just getting yeah, your behind handed to you. Yeah, and I think for the first two alien films, which were the good ones, I think the the whole the whole beauty of those films was the fact that they were creeping round corners and in this dark environment and the aliens were jumping out of them. In Marvel Legendary the locations aren't really... I mean, they're important to a degree that certain villains do something in, in certain locations, but the locations, they don't, they're not thematic. You don't feel like you're on a bridge. But I think that's where, for me, an alien game would have to go. It would have to make you feel like you are creeping around corners and the things that could jump out at you and some sort of surprise element to the monsters rather than just, you're going to draw a monster, hair draw a monster, hair draw a monster. So... <clears throat> That's, if that would interest me, if they were able to encompass that into the game or force it into the game somehow and move away from exactly the same style of play. Yeah, I agree with you, actually. I also think that there is kind of an Aliens game out already, and it's Space uh, Hulk Death Angel. 
the FFG card game in where you are a team of Kate or Space Marines. It's not the same IP, but but you're creeping along and aliens appear out of vents and stuff and you're fighting together and your group slowly dwindles and you're under pressure. There is a game that sets a, a bar already, so they have got something to live up to. So the kind of the pressure is on for me. You know, you're going to have to replace a game that gives me that aliens feel already if you're going to come out with the official aliens IP. It better be good. The, the other issue in terms of mechanics with Legendary is that the player number issue is ridiculous. With five, it's way, way too hard, and you cannot get your deck running quickly enough in order to deal with any of the threats. And then when you're down with, with two, and even with three, it's really, really easy. You're pretty much, most of the time, going to win, and then it's just all down to the points, which doesn't really work very well in my opinion. But that's a personal thing in terms of it not being a proper co-op. You're trying to co-op but win. So that's another issue they need to sort out. That The player count is not balanced in Marvel Legendary. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, Roland. I think Legendary was a flawed classic. And they have a, the opportunity to go in a completely different direction and maybe clean up some of the, the problems with Legendary. But... Why call it legendary if you're not going to... It's not, it's not the same game. But anyway, I'm going to let you sum up, Roland. So, I've voiced a lot of concerns. I've voiced a lot of issues. I've made it sound like maybe I don't really like legendary that much. When I do like Marvel Legendary, I think it's a cool game. I think it gives you something different. And it, with the lack of information, it makes it difficult for me to decide on this game. I wish they would come out and just let us know. If it's that based on legendary then surely they know how it's going to work. Give us some idea of the rules. If it's something different to Legendary, tell us that. Because do you know what? If they tell me this is a different system to Legendary, different enough that it suits the theme they've put on it, I will buy it. And I will say, I hope that's what's going to happen, and I will say treasure for now. If they try and crowbar this theme onto that Legendary system as it stands, I can't see it working. It will be a trap. But I think there's going to be enough changes in there. I'm going to go for a very tentative treasure at this stage. Uh, for me, I think we've seen it with Cryptozoic, and I've completely let Cryptozoic off the hook with uh, DC Deck Builder, Lord of the Rings Deck Builder, and the follow-up to the DC Deck Builder. So that's just tacking on licenses to a, a system, a card-playing system. Now, I don't know if Upper Deck are doing this, but initially it did look very much like they were going to do that and they were happy to go along with that. So that rings alarm bells for me. It makes me think that they're reacting to the criticism because people didn't like it and they're changing the system at the last minute. And again, alarm bells are ringing for that. So for me, it's definitely a trap. There's far too many alarm bells. So there you have it. That is the first half of our Spring 2013 treasure hunt and our thoughts on 12 upcoming releases. Hopefully that's given you some food for thought and possibly rattled your wallet a little bit. So these were just some of the games that we've been looking at. Our lists were nearly endless with so many games coming out this year. The likes of 30 Days of Night, Battle Merchants, Camel Up, Frankenstein's Bodies, which is a British game that's going through the Kickstarter funding process, not quite funded yet. 
legendary Marvel Villains deck building game, Myth, the new Pathfinder game, which is Skulls and Shackles. So much out there. I just remember that this is just our initial impressions of the game based on whatever we could glean from multiple sources. We haven't played any of these games and we may well change our minds along the way. Thanks for listening. You can catch all of our episodes at 2d6.org along with other written, video and audio gaming goodness. We are members of the awesome Dice Tower Network. You can head to dicetowernetwork.com and you will find an amazing array of gaming podcasts to suit your tastes please do join in with us on twitter we are at game pit podcast if you want to have a chat with us you can always email us gamepitpodcast at gmail.com join our bgg guild and we look forward to hearing from you music by Ethan.